Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by avid Pennsylvania turkey hunter, Jake Stanish. Jake is the host of the Apex Fireside radio podcast and is a diehard as it gets for chasing gobblers in the big woods. We discuss his scouting regimen for big woods gobblers, setup and finding a spot, decoys, different types of turkey calls, key turkey hunting gear, and a breakdown of his favorite turkey hunt. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low-light performance, tack-sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three bedroom, one and a half bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. 
It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. I have some news about the Mountain Buck scouting camp that happened over the weekend, which I would consider a pretty big success. It was an awesome time, but I'm not going to spend spend much time here explaining it as I'm going to do a, a full podcast with Justin Mueller going through and explaining it, kind of the experiences of it. I didn't get a chance to to sit down with some of the other presenters as far as Johnny Stewart and Greg Lissinger, my dad and Kenny Kane. We we uh we talked deer all day through it <laughs> every the yeah, every single part of the the day and night. I felt like we were talking deer. So it just didn't didn't feel uh right to throw the headset on and and do another podcast about it, but nonetheless, those guys did awesome and it was such a good a good part to be able to have all of them there and you know almost kind of treat it as a podcast format with all the attendees here it uh, was a typical pennsylvania spring day or spring weekend with snow and everything else but i think i think everyone made the most of it so with that being said turkey season is might even be open wherever you're at but it's uh coming up soon here in pennsylvania so kind of switching gears to focusing on that so i hope you enjoy the episode and if you do please head over to wherever you listen to it at give a rating and review that helps out so much all right we're live jake stanish welcome back to the podcast thanks man it's been a little while yeah it's i i looked back and it's been uh it's been two years since i had you on last and when we were talking about the topic today and turkey hunting and um You've been you've been staying busy. You got little one at home now. You got new job, and you and also you're running your own podcast, the Apex Fireside Radio, and like just man, what? So tell me a little bit about that. How's that been going? Man, it's been a little bit of a struggle lately trying to uh, trying to find enough hours in the day with everything. You know, having a having a kid definitely makes you really make sure that you have your time scheduled very well. I'll, I'll say that. You know almost equivalent to, you know, working when you're in college, you have to make sure you've got time to study, make sure you've got time to, to go to the gym, hang out with friends. So I think doing that, you know, kind of helps prepare people for later on in life a little bit, but yeah, it's been crazy. And, you know, it's a lot of fun at the same time, but having kids definitely makes you appreciate the time that you do get to, to spend out in the woods, you know, hunting, fishing, and just going outside and, and going for a walk and being able to, to decompress. Yeah, no, that's, I'm, I'm sure I, I can't, I can't relate to the having kids portion right now, but, uh, <laughs> I, I can imagine that it definitely makes you, uh, appreciate your time with them. And then also just being able to have your own time when you can. No doubt about it. I know one thing though, I'm really looking forward to hopefully in another two and a half years or so when I'm hoping she's going to want to go out and do a little bit of turkey hunting of her own. She's, I've already got a nice little 410 set up for her with, 
with some TSS. And that's what Melinda used a few years ago when she was pregnant with Sadie to, to turkey hunt that year. Yeah. And took a gobbler with it. So hopefully in a couple more years, I'll have Sadie sitting between my legs and, and be able to show her, you know, why I love the turkey hunt so much. I just think it's going to be, that's going to take everything to a whole new a whole new level for me. I love taking kids out as it is. Every year I usually take out one or two other kids, whether it's, you know, one of my buddy's kids or get involved in a, a Jake's hunt through the NWTF or, you know, somebody at work that has a kid that wants to go. It's always fun to, to take somebody new just to see how excited they get because, you, you know, as well as anybody, you know, you do something new and you appreciate a lot more because you really have to go in with a, an open mind. You don't really have anything to, I guess, to expect. You just go in, you're like, this is going to be fun. This is going to be something different. So let's go in, let's do it. And let's make the best out of it. And just seeing their excitement when a turkey gobbles, you know, so close, you can feel it vibrate on your chest is always, is always really neat. And watching that gun barrel wave a figure eight around, I love yeah. seeing that. Yeah. And yeah, you've been taking kids out for quite a while. I mean, I've known you for probably at least 10 years now, I would say. And I feel like every spring you're taking kids out and introducing new people to it, which I think is awesome. Definitely. Yeah. I'm trying to think when the first, the first kid I took, oh, actually I know who the first kid was. One of my, one of our mutual friends we took is, he must've been six at the time. We took one of his cousins out and everybody was like, man, you're nuts for taking a kid that's six out. They're not even ready yet. I'll tell you what, that, that six-year-old did better than a lot of adults I've taken over the years. <laughs> you tell the kid, okay, sit here and aim right here and don't move. And they, they listen and they don't move. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's true. They, they don't, they, uh, they're just there to, to listen for the most part. When you have adults, they uh, sometimes like to think they know things or just not pay attention that can be uh i i know like when i when i used to work at uh, bucks and bows the archery shop and when i used to uh do classes with kids um kids and women were better at shooting and listening than adult males when it came to trying to teach them <laughs> archery you know <laughs> it was <laughs> it was i mean there was there was no uh debating that at all and I think that's funny because most of the guys come in, they're like, oh, I need a bow that's going to have an 80-pound draw weight and this and that. And set this up and, you know, walk over there. You need to get away from me. I don't need your help. And, you know, a kid or a, a woman is like, okay, what do I need to do? And their husband or boyfriend are probably sitting there like, you don't need to listen to all this crap. Just go over and do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It, uh, I guess us as men, we have egos sometimes that get in, get in the way. And uh, I, you know, I can relate personally personally on that too you gotta gotta keep that in check <laughs> that that and i don't know about you but i hate reading instructions yes oh i yeah every single time like i get something um and i need to put it together say it's in a box like even like say a tv stand or something like that and i get it out and all the pieces are laying there i automatically try to figure it out on my own before opening up the instructions and reading through it which if i would start with the instructions from the beginning i wouldn't have this leg on backwards i wouldn't have the wrong screw in this part and you know <laughs> but for some reason i just don't seem to learn you know I'm, I'm sitting there listening to you say this and in the back of my mind i'm like yep that's why my new computer desk for my office upstairs is sitting upside down and i need to reorder two parts for it they didn't send me enough. And the two that I did try to put in there, I put the, the, the legs in upside down. And when I went to cinch it tight, there was a collar that had to pop out. <laughs> I did it backwards and now it won't go back together. 
<laughs> yep. So, yeah, that one hit home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, Jake, what? Um, so, let's give a, a little background in case anyone hadn't listened to um, the first episode. Just give me a little background on yourself and and kind of your your love for for hunting and and turkey hunting specifically. Absolutely. My name's Jake Stanish, as Bo said a few minutes ago here, and I live in St. Mary's, Pennsylvania, born and raised here. And I've been hunting since I was 12 years old here in Pennsylvania at the time before they had any of the, the mentored youth or any of the, the real youth hunts, I guess. They, they had a couple, like, in, what do they have? Maybe small game and yeah. turkeys when we were younger, I think. Yep. I think that so was I, all at that point. They might have had like that early doe season, if anything, but it wasn't anything extravagant like they've got now. Yeah. So anyway, you know, got introduced to hunting at an early age, went with my dad, I think the first time I went and might've went squirrel hunting with him after school. I might've been five, six years old, something like that. And I really just enjoyed going out in the woods with him, just enjoyed the hunt, the chase, and just learning all about hunting and the outdoors and just trying to figure it out. It was a, it was something new to me. It was a big challenge. And somewhere along the lines there, I don't know if it was that year or if it was a couple years later, I, I saw a turkey hunt on TV in the spring on TNN, you know, the Nashville Network, when uh, that used to be the place everybody went for their outdoor content, you know, decades before the Outdoor Channel, Pursuit Channel, YouTube, any of that was available. And there was something about turkeys that just really got me, really grabbed my attention. I just really enjoyed watching them strut. I really liked listening to them gobble real close. And that was really all that I wanted to, to do then from that point forward. I kept asking my dad, I'm like, you know, what, what about this about turkeys? You know, where do they live? When can I go turkey hunting? When are you going to take me? You know, I want to see them. And every time we'd be out in the woods hunting from there, you know, I'd, I'd always just be asking a, a pile of questions about it. And it just it grabbed a hold of me and it just it never let go. I think first time I went turkey hunting, I was maybe nine years old. Towards the end of the year, my dad took me out and he couldn't have picked a better hunt to, to take me on. You know, for my first turkey hunt, we went out and we, we walked out a gas line and got partway out there and we stopped the list and he hooted and a turkey gobbled. So we went in the woods and we set up and we called a couple jakes in, but they stayed out too far for, for him to shoot. So birds walked off. We tried to circle them and, and get ahead of them and try to get them to come, but they, they walked away. I don't know if they saw us or what happened. And then I think that year the season went out on, on Memorial Day. So having off of school on Monday, we went back out on Monday morning to try to try to get after some birds we heard further out on the ridge and we got out there and it was just absolutely amazing i mean dad called in the whole flock there was five or six hens with one big adult gobbler he stayed out probably 50 60 yards just you know strutting back and forth and back and forth gobbling hard the hens came right right up to us probably 15 20 yards away he just he hung back and then eventually they drifted off and man ever since i've just been helplessly addicted to turkeys and there's there's really nothing, in my opinion, that compares to that with the overall excitement of it. And just having that interaction with the turkey is really what what drew me to it. You know, calling and interacting with them. You know, you call and you can see them gobble or the hens call and just watch them come in. And just the, the whole experience, it's just, it's grabbed a hold of me and it's never let go. It, it actually gets worse every single year. You know, yeah. like before deer season was even over this year, I was already starting to think about next spring and it seems like every single year I'll be sitting in my tree stand in November and I'm like, okay, I got to be thinking about bucks, you know, to rut deer going to be running around and I, I'll hear a turkey yelp and it'll just, I'll start going like this, looking around, <laughs> reach into my pants pocket, pulling out a mouth call. And 
and trying to play with them and, and contemplate climbing down out of my tree and going over and trying to trying to call them in and see if I can stick one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is funny. Like, so anyone that you know, doesn't know, so Jake and I, like oh, I'd mentioned a little bit ago, we've been friends for a while. So we text back and forth a lot during the, the hunting seasons and during you know during spring gobbler i'm caught like looking for sheds or scouting and he's like you know full bore like i am during the rut like and then when when it's uh deer season he's texting me about turkeys and turkey sign and it's it's hilarious because we we go back and forth on that all the time (laughs) well what's funny is actually i think it was two years ago now the morning i killed my archery buck i was actually sitting in my tree right at daylight and, you know the sun was just starting to come up and i heard i heard a goblin my head just immediately snaps to my right and starts looking upstream and they just start going ballistic i mean there was probably five or six gobblers up there just tearing tearing it up and then heard heard some hens that were about halfway between us just assembly yelping and cutting and key keying and yelping and i threw a mouth call in and we started going back and forth and i i'm serious i was about this close to putting the to put my rope on my bow lower into the ground and, you know, making a circle up and around him and trying to get up there and, and on him. I'm glad I didn't, you know, every, everything worked out, killed a nice buck that morning, but my mind was definitely in other places and it didn't help when I saw them. I then saw the long beards on the other side of the Valley working upstream and I, and I knew where they were going to be. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely uh can be torture a little bit for me to, to sit in a tree stand when I've got that much Turkey activity going on around me. Yeah, that <laughs> I, I I can understand that, and and well, I can understand that from the opposite the opposite uh, standpoint a little bit. But I I do love turkey hunting, and um, it's I don't know it's it's a time of year that I just love that time of year. I love the springtime. I love watching the wo- and listening to the woods wake up in the morning like that is is something that's really tough to beat and there's there's it's it i i still i i've said it to you before but i i need you to at some point to go elk hunting just because i think you will love you love the, the the vocalization the interaction and i think you would uh i think you would enjoy elk hunting as well oh definitely I, i've heard i've had a couple people tell me that you know not only you but a few of my friends that are really into turkeys as well they're like man they're like i'm telling you this right now Unless you want another habit or hobby that really, you know, grabs a hold of you and doesn't let go, you don't want to try elk hunting. They say, yeah. <laughs> think of it as an 800-pound animal that screams at you instead of a 20-pound turkey that gobbles at you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're, I mean, we're recording this, like, uh, we're recording this in February, so it's not going to release right away. But one of the things, you know, as you always have turkeys on your mind, when does when does your, like, scouting for turkey like your spring turkey like really start like what what does that look like are you you know even in the winter time or in the spring time are you looking at maps are you walking around the woods like what what's that kind of look like for you so i guess i'll answer it in, in two different parts so last year i did something a little different i actually wound up catching some a flock of long beards on on one of my trail cameras actually right by my tree stand where i shot my archery buck in 2021 or 2020 so I kind of tucked that in the back of my mind. I never really turkey hunted that area, but I knew I had a rough idea where they were going to be, you know, based on where they roosted in the fall. Because the last two falls, I had two, two or three different flocks in there. You know, obviously they, they weren't all long beards, but generally turkeys in that area seem to roost in similar spots. So I tucked that in the back of my mind and I went back in there fast forward till, when did I go in there? I went in there sometime in April, I forget. 
that area, it takes a little bit longer to for the turkeys to really get in there in the spring and get active. So I waited until like fishing season, you know, second weekend of April went in there and I'll hooted in the morning and then, you know, right before it gets daylight out and, and heard him gobble and dropped a couple pins on the map. And, you know, it's fun. It's funny. You mentioned about uh, sheds. I found a couple of antlers in there that morning. So then I'm like literally zigzagging across the side <laughs> hill, trying to match them up. And I've got gobblers screaming all around me. And, and the more I walk, I'm like, man, this is stupid. You put, put your face mask, your gloves on creep out of here and don't, and don't screw this up. So yeah. If, in a situation like that, if I've got, you know, a concentration of birds in an area in the fall, I'll go in there sometime, you know, right before the season starts, a couple of weeks before and start listening. And I'm really not trying to see, you know, which particular gobbler's on which point. I'm just trying to get a general idea of which hit, which side I need to start on. So you'll, I'll get above them in the morning and listen and then see if they're going to be out on the point or out on the finger and kind of go from there. Um, if I'm going into... Uh, Generally speaking, the majority of my spots, what I'll do is usually in another couple of weeks when the weather really starts to break, like this year with the snow that we have, it's a little challenging to walk in the woods. I'll wait till, till the weather starts to break a bit and wait till the snow softens up. Even, you know, if I would have had off today, today would have been a great day to get out, you know, with it being, I think almost 50 degrees today, just to get out and go for a walk. And I'll really just kind of look for areas in the fall that I saw turkeys, you know, because that's where the food was in the fall and the food's going to be similar in the spring. Yeah. You're going to have your, your different, uh, shoots coming up, your watercress and different things. Birds like to eat bugs when it gets warm, but for the most part, they should be pretty close to where you saw them in the fall and, and just try to get in there and look for tracks, um, look for scratching, you know, where, where they've been feeding, look for obviously seeing turkeys. When we went for a ride on Sunday, we actually saw a couple long beards in an area that I hunt. So mark that in the back of my mind. You know, go in there and, and drop a bunch of pins on topographical maps. And for turkeys, my my map will look about like what your map looks like for deer when you're marking your funnels and your uh, trail cameras and all of that. Yeah. So I'll go in there and, and drop a bunch of pins. But the biggest thing I'll do then is I'll go into one area and I'll spend, let's say, two days in there. Maybe I'll go in there before, before daylight and I'll walk around till... I don't know, maybe let's say eight, nine, 10 o'clock, and then I'll leave. I'll do that a couple times just to get a general idea of where they're at. But what I, I don't want to do is get in there too tight on them. You know, I'll stay from a distance and stay out far enough that you can pinpoint where they're at. And then let's say I've, I've only got time later on. And let's say like on a random Wednesday, if I've got a day off or something, I'll go in and I'll go for a walk in those areas if I've never been there, like in the middle of the day when the turkeys aren't going to be there and try to get an idea of what the, the lay of the land looks like and try to pick out maybe some possible setup spots. And that's a time that I'll go in and I'll really look for roost trees because, you know, they're not going to be in the same tree every night. Yeah. They might be within 50, 60, 75, a hundred yards, but just to get a general idea of, okay, they're, they're roosting here on this point. So, you know, if, if it's a real steep drop off on one side, you know, you know, which side you need to be on. Yeah. So like, and just get a, Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Jake. But when you're um, when you say you're looking for for those roost trees, are you looking at it because there's you know poop on the ground below? How are you what How are you determining what those roost trees are? Couple different things. Um, first off, I'll look like you said for droppings on the ground, and it'll look more like a splatter. You'll see some droppings, but when they hit the ground, they usually break apart. You know, they don't stay together like most people are, are used to seeing, like a a curly Q or a J, you know, whether it's a hen or a gobbler, you'll, you'll just see the, the white droppings all over the ground. And if you find like a tree that's polluted with it, 
then you know you found a, a roost tree that they use either fairly often or there's more than one turkey in that tree, which isn't uncommon. You know, sometimes you'll see a gobbler with hens in the same tree. Other times, depending on, you know, what kind of trees are around, you'll see maybe one in one tree and, you know, another one 50, 60 yards away from. Just kind of depends on, on what they have for options. And another thing to look for, too, are wing feathers. If you find wing feathers under trees, a lot of times they'll drop them when they come out if there's branches that are close. Because when a turkey jumps up, they'll jump up and they'll put their wings out and then they'll start flapping real hard to get down. And when they start to flap like that, those wing feathers break off. Uh, okay. And what, so is there a specific type of tree you seem to find them in roosting more than another? Uh, really haven't keyed in on that particular spot, uh, that particular part of it. Seems around here, it's a lot of oak, a lot mm-hmm. of hard hardwood trees. You'll find them in hemlocks, like especially if the weather's real bad. If it's, it's real windy or if it's raining out or if it's just real bitter cold, like especially this time of the year, you'll mm-hmm. see them in hemlock trees or pine trees if they have the option to get into them just because it, it blocks them from the weather a little better than being up in a, an oak tree with no leaves on it. Yeah. No, I, I, I've, I've, at least in a lot of the areas that I've been in, I've noticed a lot of the hardwoods, like you're saying, cherry trees, oak trees, those types of ones, those, those bigger ones with some nice branches that are coming off it that are pretty hefty that they, uh, can feel solid on up there. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Another thing I'll look for too, is I like to find like a straight limb. If you ever see a tree that is off of the, the point of a hill and it's the point's somewhat real steep coming down off, maybe flattens out on a bench. Almost down to that bench, you'll often find them like to roost down there because they can they can take off and they can run and they can fly and they can pitch right out onto that limb and not have to expel a lot of energy to to get into that tree. That's another important part of it too. And if you can find a straight limb, you'll often find times a gobbler that's going to strut back and forth on that limb in the dark before they come down out of the tree. Interesting. That's uh, that, that, yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good point. Um, f- from that standpoint and, and you know, when you, you talked about like the points, um, and then you also mentioned the fingers, are those the main places you typically find them roosted on, especially in like steeper hill country type spots? Usually down off of the points and on the hillsides, I guess it really depends too. Uh, another part of it we can go into is, is really the weather. You know, uh, like deer, you know, turkeys like to get out of the wind. If it's going to be, let's say, an east wind and your hill runs north and south, well, you know, you know what side of the hill you need to be on just by looking at the map. You know, turkeys don't want to don't want to, you know, roost in the wind if they can help it. I mean, if your winds are reasonable, let's say 15 mile an hour under, maybe even 20, it's really not going to affect them that bad. But if it gets real windy, then they're going to be on, you know, the other side of the hill. So they're out of the wind. And typically they're going to be on the bottom third of the hill. If it gets real windy and real nasty like that, they'll actually roost lower on okay. the hills to try get into the valley. Just get out of that weather. And they, I've seen this both ways. You know, there's there's old wives' hills out there where they say that, you know, if a gobbler's, you know, way up on t- the tippy top of a hill or a mountain, you know, depending on your train, that he's all by himself. Typically, if he's three quarters of the way or higher on the hill, he's usually by himself because he's trying to get that sound to echo out when he gobbles out across the valley so that more hens can hear him. But I've also seen it where they've got a pile of hens up there too. So, you know, nothing's ever a a guarantee, but those are some things that I've read in different magazine articles and and noticed over the years that, you know, if you get a turkey that's really gobbling hard and he's real high on the hill, you know, there might be a good chance that he's up there all by himself. 
Oh, yeah. So then, then obviously you, you have a little bit of a better shot first thing. There. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. All, <laughs> all of us would rather have a lone gobbler than one with hens. <laughs> I feel like that's always my number one frustration uh, every year is when I'm like, oh, they're henned up. They got hens as soon as they fly down, you know, and then they shut up. <laughs> do you run into a lot of gobblers with hens in the spring when you're hunting? I do. I Yeah. I, f- I feel like I... I do. Um, the last, last couple of years, I, I hadn't hunted turkeys as much as I had the years prior to it, just from a, a time standpoint, but I felt like I was running into them with hens more so than, than I'd re- remembered having to in the past. I don't know. Do you, do you run into them a lot with hens? Yeah. I- anymore. It seems like every gobbler has at least one hen with them. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think this is to this past spring. There was probably first one i killed didn't have any hens that was the second day of the season though he had an, him and another one came in and me and my uncle doubled they didn't have any hens but there's a pile of them down in the valley with the boss we called in a couple two-year-olds and they they came in and and worked right and we were able to to double on them but then i'm trying to think other mornings have you ever wanted to have levi morgan andy may johnny stewart and others available at all times well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Yeah, I think just about every other bird that we worked had at least one hen with it, you know, that that I could hear or see, you know. It Mm -hmm. seems like anymore, it's like they've got three or four or you know, more, more than one. I don't know if it's has to do with the population or, you know, what's going on, but it just seems like, and I don't know if you remember this when we were younger, but it just seemed like you could find a gobbler that didn't have hens a lot more often when we were younger. Yeah. I felt like turkey hunting was a little bit easier than, than it is now. <laughs> it seems it's just a struggle <laughs> anymore. And, and, you know, one thing that I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, but there was this one gobbler that would always roost out on this point and i'd always the night before listen across the valley and i'd pinpoint where he was at and it got to the point where i had to to go in and basically just set up without calling in the direction i thought they were going to head and just try to wait for him and the hens to 
to come, you know, along that way. There was a bench system that ran through that spot. And I remember I finally got my opportunity when he was coming that direction and they'd shut up and I'm looking at my watch because I had to go to work and I'm trying to get it done, you know, before work. And, yep. and, uh, I stood up and then there they were and they all took off and I'm like, that's damn work screws everything up, you know? No, I know. <laughs> that's got to be the absolute worst though when you don't know that they're there and then you stand up and you're about ready to toss your gun over the bank because it's like <laughs> i did everything right i snuck in here in the dark yep. i didn't get busted i got up at 2 a.m and now i got to go to work with this in the back of my mind like yeah i would have been able to sit here for another half hour 40 minutes you know you probably would have brought them home with you yeah i know and and and, <laughs> and the thing is like so I'll I'll do it usually like the first week of the season. I'm up every morning before work and going, and then I I get a little burned out and I end up kind of sleeping in a few mornings and stuff. You I feel like you don't you don't take any mornings off in the spring. <laughs> I by the end of it I don't even want to talk to you. You're miserable. You're tired. No. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, if I if I can help it, if I had it my way, I'd hunt every single day. Like I have this crazy idea in my head that if i miss a single morning of scouting or hunting from like let's say the last week of march till june 1st i get insanely pissed off at myself if i had the legitimate opportunity to go that's why if it's pouring down rain i'm still getting up yeah i hate hunting turkeys in the rain with a passion that's when i'll go and spend more time around field edges and that kind of stuff but i'm still gonna go you know whether i actually physically want to go in the rain or not i'm gonna get out there because I don't know how many times you've looked, you've watched a weather and you look you get out in the woods and it's you're dressed for like the worst conditions possible and the weatherman's wrong at least half the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, There's nothing worse than sleeping in because you think it's going to be a downpour and you wake up and it's a beautiful morning. Oh, that that'll <laughs> hit you good. <laughs> oh, I hate that. E- even if I sleep in and give yourself that little bit of rest that you need if you've been hitting it hard, I'll still go out. You know, sleep in till six and and get up and. And go after the rain ends because a lot of times you'll find that if it's really raining and windy and miserable and nasty, the second that rain stops and the sun pops up, those gobblers will go crazy. Mm-hmm. And they'll start gobbling, trying trying to get those hens collected and, and trying to get that hen to come in. And a lot of times, too, and on those days, they come fast. When you get them coming, they come fast once you get them committed. Yeah. It, and do you... So when, when you're out doing the scouting and you're out in the woods all the time trying to check things out, are you trying to find, like, say you figure out, like, a roost tree or you figure out where they're at, when you go in the middle of the day and you're checking out that area, are you trying to find specific trees to, like, set up against or do anything, or is that kind of something that you typically do on the fly that morning? Um, I guess it really depends on the, the area and, you know, how many turkeys are in there. If I know that there's, you know, every morning, let's say there's there's three gobblers on this bench and they're going to be within about 50 or 60 yards, I'll go down there and I'll start to like somewhat in my mind, start to go through the process of, okay, there's a, there's a cherry tree over here. So I'll go over there and I'll say, and I'll just, I'll make up a scenario in my head, like, okay, let's say there's a, a gobbler roosted all, just down off the point. So I'll go over there and I'll sit down and I'll just try to play this scenario out in my head and think, okay, where's the most likely spot he's going to come in at if I'm set up here? And what could, what is going to prevent me from getting him to, to come in and finish and get into gun range if I sit up right there? And there's some things you want to look at, like, you know, are there any blowdowns? Is there a beach brush? Because a couple of years ago, we had a situation where late morning we struck a gobbler, and I set up behind my uncle the float call. My dad went high on the hill. My uncle stayed closer to me. 
bird comes in and he hangs up. We had a decoy out, wide open woods, second week of the season. So the woods were still, you know, pretty open. There wasn't a lot of foliage yet. And he just didn't see a decoy. And, and there was a bunch of like mounds and rolling parts of the hill that he physically couldn't see a decoy. So I'll look for anything that it's going to hang him up, you know, or in farm country, you know, look for fences. Fences are famous for, for hanging up a turkey. They'll just sit there and they'll strut back and forth and gobble their brains out. Yeah, sometimes like down in Texas, they'll, they'll fly a fence, but for the most part, if you if you get them to a you know a hard barrier like that, they usually throw the brakes on and wait for the for the hen to come to him because that's what nature's intended. But I'll go through that exercise in a couple different trees and, and just try to get you know a, a general idea of what I want to do if he roosts here, if he's gobbling here, if he's gobbling behind me. Just so you know, when I go in there, I'm not like completely frantic trying to hurry up and rush and, and pick a tree because. Anybody out there who's ever done that knows if you rush and try to do something right now, it's usually going to get screwed up almost every time because you're going to be going on adrenaline instead of taking that extra 15, 20 seconds to, to analyze a situation. Most of the time with turkeys, it's not a do or die situation where you've got to you know, sit down this second. Now, if you're walking and calling and he gobbles like at 50 yards over the lip of the hill, yeah, you got to act fast, but that doesn't mean to sit there and, and pick a bad tree to to set up at or a bad stump or blowdown or whatever, you know, take your time, take a couple extra minutes and, and just make sure that where you're going to set up is going to be a spot that's going to work. Because if you pick the wrong spot, you're going to get a, the gobbler might come in and he might, you know, do everything you want him to do. It could be in gun range. You might not even see him. Yeah. And that's, that's especially true, you know, later on in the season with the foliage, you know, granted you can get a lot closer to that Turkey with, with the green leaves and the ferns out and everything and the extra cover. But a lot of times you won't see him approaching. All of a sudden you're just going to hear him drum or hear him walking or hear the wings dragging the leaves and see a red head periscope and he's right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you've, you've really got to take a lot of that into consideration, into account. And I never like to, to set up like right on the edge of the hill. I like to be, let's say, 30, 40 yards from like, huh, I'm trying to think a good way to explain this. Uh, one of my buddies, Scott Ellis, he calls it hiding the hen. And what he, how he describes this is, Go and set up and have it so that the gobbler has to come in looking for use. And when he comes looking, he's in gun range. So if he just comes in and periscopes over the edge of the hill, make sure whatever your effective range is with your gun, you're set up within that, whether that's 30 yards, 40 yards, 50, you know, whatever you want to do. But I always like to set up about 30, 35 yards from the edge of the hill. And then that way, if he does come in and you have to move your gun and shift, you're back from the hill enough that you've got time that you can react and it's not it's not like you're aiming this way and all of a sudden you have to try and go right now like this because if you have to do that he's gonna see that yeah so and, and when um so when you're setting up are you setting your decoy up then closer uh to the edge of the hill or where are you setting up your decoy in that in that moment so i guess it really all depends i use a decoy maybe maybe half of the time a lot of it just depends on one, if I feel like carrying the extra weight when it gets to be that point in the season. Yeah. You know, uh, you'll see my vest will probably weigh about 40 pounds when the season starts with a water bladder and and basically one of everything in Cabela's. Uh, but then as the season goes on, I'll start taking things out that I use. Maybe I'm not using the box call, so the box call goes. Maybe the extra locator calls that I don't, I don't normally use go. Maybe the decoys go. Maybe rain gear goes. Um, but usually what I'll try to do is I'll try to set the decoys up so that the turkey has to walk past the decoy to come to me. Mm -hmm. So that let's, let's say I don't, I never put them straight in front of you one for safety and two, 
if the turkey comes straight at you and sees a decoy, he's looking right in your face. If he looks at you, he's going to see through the decoy and he's going to pick you out nine times out of 10, just because of how good they can see and, and just how wary the bird is. So I'll put it, I'm right-handed. So I'll put it off on my left-hand side. So you so can that, swing over there easily. Yeah. So you always want to set up and, and position your, your off shoulder where the turkey, where you expect the turkey to come in. Cause that gives you the biggest area you can swing your gun into. So with me being right-handed, I'll put this shoulder pointed in the general direction. I think that bird's going to come in from, and then if he starts to go left or right, you know, you can swing the gun and you can, you can track him a lot easier. You're not, you're not wound up like a pretzel. Yeah, no, that's a, uh, that, that's a, that's a really good, good point. And, and that's something that, that actually I'm learning right now from the, the standpoint I've always just put, I never really thought much about my decoy placement and always just kind of put them out in front of you there. But obviously turkeys have extremely good eyesight. So if they have their eyes on that, that hen, and if you put yourself in their position when they come up and they see this, this blob up against the tree behind their gun shaking, moving around, doing all this stuff, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't help your situation. No, it doesn't. Do you like to use a uh, gobbler decoy, hen decoy? What do you normally like to use? I, I typically use a hen decoy. I've used a Jake decoy uh, a decent amount in the past, but I feel like now um, I, I've been using, I, I have an Avian X uh, hen decoy and I use that. I, I use that just about exclusively now. What what, are you, what is your preference? It really depends. Uh, this year I used a Jake decoy a little bit because I hunted around some fields a little more than I normally do. And I don't, I don't like to use a gobbler decoy in the woods for a couple reasons. One, for safety because, you know, they've got the red, white, and blue head and they've got the beard on them. So, you know, if somebody just is, is sneaking in on you and they pop up over the hill and they shoot, they don't properly identify their target, there's always at risk. But the other part of it is in the woods, a lot of times I've found that if a turkey just pops up over a hill and sees a decoy, they get really weird really fast because it scares them. Just like if you're if you're walking, you know, into your house and there's somebody sitting in your living room and you see them on the couch and you're like, who in the hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they kind of, they can give off a similar type reaction. I've actually had a gobbler spook at a, a hen decoy I had out before, but granted it was on the last day and this turkey had gotten shot at before, but you know, there's 101 things that can go wrong. So, you know, sometimes the gobbler decoy isn't always, you know, your friend, but usually I use a like a feeding hen because they're more more of in a natural position. It's not like some of the the upright hens you see that are more like with their neck high and looking. Those are good for later in the year sometimes with the, the foliage because they sit higher and they get above that, that vegetation. But on the flip side, sometimes hens take that as being aggressive. So I usually like to use either a feeding hen by itself or if I'm in a field, sometimes I'll take like a quarter strut jake and put that out. This year we had that work really good. We actually had two gobblers charge the the Jake decoys, just like you see them do on TV. First time I've ever had, actually had them work like that and had it happen. It was really cool because you could see them. Come, they came from our right, and I just I seen them out of the corner of my eye. I heard them gobbling over there and kept looking and looking and looking. I finally caught them moving, and they they blew up in a full strut, and they just came on a dead sprint for about probably 100, 120 yards and just came in getting ready to beat the snot out of that decoy before we shot him but that was cool but i i don't think i'll use a, a gobbler decoy unless it's in a field like that and i can see for a long ways in front of me yeah and then, or unless you're you know you're dealing with the boss bird or the adult bird of the area because the flip side of that is a lot of times around at least around here i found that those those jake decoys and those gobbler decoys spook a lot of your your immature you know adult birds like a two-year-old because they've gotten beat up on before by 
by the boss and they just, they don't feel like, you know, taking that risk to come in and, and really investigate, but you know, in the right situation, they can definitely be, be dynamite. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point. And I think that the safety aspect that you brought there is a good point, especially hunting public land in a state like Pennsylvania or other places that have a lot of hunters. You hear about it almost every year, unfortunately, with people getting shot and, and it's just not, it's not worth the risk. <laughs> no, not, not at all. And, you know, the other part of it too is I found a lot of times that if you if you take that head of a, a decoy you buy, especially a gobbler decoy, take it to a taxidermist or somebody that's an artist and you put more white in that head, it seems like it's a lot more effective because it's not so aggressive. That red, white, and blue is sometimes a little bit too much to, to turn a turkey off, but that white head, for whatever reason, seems like it it really gets them more curious than anything else and they'll, they'll come in. You know, they might come in and if you see turkeys come into decoys and they, they kind of stick their head in the air, they put their head up, that's usually a sign that they're not quite sure of what to make of the situation. They're going to come in and they're going to check it out, but they're usually just not quite sure they're, you know, your, your two-year-old birds or birds that, you know, might have been beat up before or had a negative experience with that type of decoy. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. And the, the one, one other question I had back on your setup. So do you typically, do you find yourself, all right, say, you know, birds roosted somewhere. Are you, how close are you setting up? And I'm sure this all is a, this depends the answer. Um, <laughs> but, and then like, are you trying to set up above them the same level? What, what are you kind of trying to anticipate with that? So I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, let's say, go back to this year on the, the hunt I had with my uncle in the, the open field where we doubled. So I was in there on a Sunday since we couldn't, we can't hunt on Sundays in PA and for turkeys. So I went into an area and I, I heard some birds and thought I had a good idea of where they were roosted. So I dropped a couple pins on the map and I was just starting to creep that way. And I got out into the field and I looked around the dog leg in a field and I saw a giant longbeard strutting with a hen. So I kind of started putting two and two together, looking at the map. I found a logging road up out of the valley. You know, it's, it was real, real steep terrain. So I basically waited for that gobbler to work off and, you know, 20 minutes later he, he followed the hen and left. So I went over where I, I assumed that they came out and I picked two trees out. There wasn't a lot of options. It was more bushes and shrubs and just kind of like typical field edge, mull the floor rows, you know, autumn all of that kind of cover. And just really picked out two areas where we could hide two hunters and had a general idea where the, where they were coming from. So went over there and, and just kind of picked the spots out and uh dropped two pins on it called my uncle and we went in there in the, the next morning and those spots wound up working but you know i've also gone to to other spots where you just kind of go in and um you just have to kind of roll with the, the punches so to speak like uh another another hunt we had one with my uncle and my wife i think mine just must have been like the third third fourth week of the season third saturday it was in that spot where i, I told you i had those videos trail camera videos in the fall of that flock of longbeards mm -hmm. we heard one of them in there we didn't we didn't know where they i had a general idea where they were going to be because i heard them two weeks before that in the first day so we just we got above them i always prefer to get above them if i can in that kind of situation like in the big woods because it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay. 
The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. It just seems like for whatever reason, a turkey always wants to get the high ground. You know, granted, yes, will a turkey come downhill? Yeah, in the right situation, anything could happen. But from what I've seen and experienced, I always like to get above him if I can because that gobbler likes to get higher so he can see down and, you know, look for the hen and look for danger. Mm-hmm. And if you set up below them, not every time, but, you know, more often than not, they're going to they're gonna go above you and they're going to hang up and just get into, get into an area and just start strutting and going back and forth and, and gobbling. So if the, the terrain will let me, I always like to at least get even with them. Better yet, if I can safely get above them, I'll get above them. But, you know, if you hear them real late and you're trying to rush and get over there, I'll try setting up below them and then, I won't work them real hard if they're not real interested. I'll kind of let them drift off and, and go, you know, whichever way they're going to go. And then I'll go and maybe, maybe I've got to go down the valley, you know, half a mile and, and cut up a different hollow and circle around above them and then try that. But it really just depends on on what the top of that hill looks like. You know, if it's a, a brand new clear cut, you know, that might not be your best bet. You might want to get, you know, close to that and use that for background and, and try to get them up. But, you know, it really just depends on the, the situation, but all things considered, I'll, I'll at least get even with them if I can. If not, I'll try to get above them. Okay, no, that that makes sense. And so you were talking about uh, a little bit when you were saying about your gear and the stuff you're taking in. What what are some of your favorite calls? Your most used calls, ones that you could never use again and you'd be happy with? Like, I'd like to hear some of your your call setups. Yeah, so I carry basically one of everything that have, that's ever been made that Cabela's has in my vest. Just be, in that <laughs> one-off situation that that uh, a turkey will, will answer and will gobble at it. And one of those, a tube call. I had one hunt one time where I was hunting with one of my buddies. And he was like, man, I can't get this bird to do anything. I've hunted him the entire season. He just, he won't come. He gobbles at it and he flies down and goes the other way. So we were in there hunting him and make a long story short, he had to go to work. So he had to leave for work in about 10 minutes. So he's like, all right, he said, we got 10 minutes. Let's go. So we made a, a last minute move and hit him. He gobbled. I'm like going through my vest. What didn't I try yet? I find a tube call. I yelped at him like three times on a tube call. This gobbler cuts me off and runs us over. And he was dead in about two minutes from there because it was different. It's, it was a deeper raspier tone. It sounded more like a Jake. So after seeing what that did, I always have a tube call in my vest. I'm not the best at it. But I always keep it in there. It's good for locating, for striking. It's real loud. It's just a, a different tone. I'm always a big fan of a mouth call. I carry a lanyard around my neck with probably 30 mouth calls in it, but there's like maybe three or four calls that I use. I prefer either a combo cut or a reverse combo cut or a bat wing over any of the other styles of cuts. It just seems like with the way that my my mouth likes to chain all the air when I call, that that sounds the best. I always have a box call. Um, typically I'll have one of about four or five different pot or what people like to call a slate call, you know, depending on what the weather is, 
you know, maybe a, a waterproof one if it's going to be damp out or if it's going to be inclement weather. If it's going to be a bluebird day, I'll, I'll take a, a slate or an aluminum calling surface because I think they sound more realistic. You know, crystal's always good. Always have a crow call on my vest. Um, I carry an owl hooter, but I don't use it every day. You know, I usually like to hoot with my voice. But if I'm doing a lot of hill climbs and your back of your throat gets dry and you try to owl hoot, sometimes it sounds more like a dog barking than uh, than anything. So it's nice to have that hooter just to, to give them a quick check sometimes if you're you're trying to cut the distance. Yeah. Last couple of years, I've been leaving at least a, a raincoat in the back of my vest just because, you know, you never know when you're going to get a, a pop-up rainstorm that time of the year. Always have a, a seat cushion on the vest. Um, Apex TSS, I carry about five or six shells with me. Crazy things can happen. You know, you roll a turkey and you're, you're chasing them. You break a wing or something and you know, you, you've got to finish them off. You need to make sure you have enough ammo for that. You know, don't just take a couple shells and put them in the gun. I always take at least, you know, three or four extras for a, a worst case scenario, or, you know, maybe you're with a buddy and, and they miss and they need some more shells or, you know, whatever happens. Always have like, you know, water, something to eat, um, some clippers to, to clip any branches out of the way. I like to carry a range finder too. Some people don't like to carry those for turkeys, but with today's uh, guns and ammunition and choke tubes and, and all that, it's important to know, you know, your distance. So when I can, when I set up, I'll, I'll go and I'll range a couple objects so I know at least what my maximum distance is. You know, I'll pick out a tree or a rock or a stump or, you know, whatever whatever landmark is that you can really identify easy and, and mark those ranges so you know when the turkey's going to be in range. That's that's a good idea. I, I have not carried a range finder before, but I've been in situations where I'm not, especially if you get into open woods or if you're hunting mm-hmm. fields or something, that's like, that can be difficult to, to judge the, the range there. I've, I've been caught in that situation before. That, and I found out in Florida back, geez, 10, well, 10 years ago now, next month. Wow. I'm getting old. <laughs> uh, I can't judge yards in a field to save my life. I let three big Osceola Longbeards walk because I thought they were closer, like 60 yards. They walked away, and I range a palmetto that they were standing at, and they were 45. So easy range, and I let them go. I mean, everything worked out for the best. I, I killed a bird the next morning. It was a lot better of a hunt, but definitely learned an important lesson there. And that that's why the rangefinder stays, you know, either in my vest or tied to my belt loop. Yeah, no that that's that's a very that's a very good point that that you brought up there. And and you um, what what turkey vest are you running? Right now, I have a Nomad Just Killing Time. Okay. Those are new vests for 2021. That was the best vest I've seen in a long time. And there's a couple things on it that I really liked. You had the option of either having a, a regular, you know, like let's say a stadium style, style seat in the vest. So you've got that internal frame and the support. So if you're like in the situation of a, a field hunt where you're setting up around some autumn olive bushes and some, you know, multiflora rose bushes, you've at least got something you can rest your back against because if you're trying just to sit down and hunch over and get your gun up, you're not going to sit there long if you're not comfortable. Yeah. So I like that feature and it has a regular seat cushion on it too. I usually take that seat cushion off because I prefer having that, that stadium style seat. And I just like being able to, to pull that down quick from the inside and be able to deploy the seat. It just seems to be what's comfortable for me, but that's the vest I'm running right now. Mm, Nice. I, and then you said you run a water bladder with that as well. Yep. 
Yeah, that's that's huge. I drink a lot of water, and carrying a water bladder is always something that uh, I I don't know. I think it I think it's makes a it makes a a big big impact, especially if you're trying to go all morning and you're chasing turkeys from ridge to ridge. I, I agree with that. Definitely, and I always have a, a little Sawyer's water filter too because I've found out the hard way that. If you don't take enough water and you run out and you drink your whole bladder, and I don't know about you, but if I've got it, you know, right, right on my, I usually put it on my left side. If I've got the host in there, I'm going to drink out of it all day. Oh yeah. If I'm actually needing it, if I'm thirsty, or if it's just when I'm climbing a hill and I'm taking a drink, you know, to when I stopped up to cool off for a second, but I'm going to drink the whole thing usually by by mid morning anyway. Yeah, I I'm I'm in the same I'm in the same boat there. I if I have a bladder and that poses right there, I'm always stepping on, which is a good thing. I mean, water yeah. water's good for you, so it uh, makes sense. And but one thing about the calls that you're talking about, so I always used to carry a crow call until. I've realized that I have, I only, I don't have very many talents in my life, but I can do a crow call with my mouth. Like nobody's ever seen. And really? <laughs> yeah, I can. It's uh let's hear it. Yo, I knew you were going to say that. Hold on. Let me turn, <laughs> let me turn the volume down a little bit. So I don't yell it into there. Let's see. I haven't done this in a while. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. One last thing you got to carry. Yep. So I, when I do it at a high pitch, it, it, sounds pretty good i get the crows all riled up usually too and uh <laughs> it's uh one of those things but uh and i i i'm not i mean you've you've done calling competitions and stuff so you're you're very uh you're very good with the calls i'm i'm not so great with the calls and it's actually funny from a mouth call standpoint i've always used my elk calls because they're single read and i can i can use them a lot easier than i can uh a regular turkey call i don't know why i just suck at mouth calling have you ever tried like a, a two read bat wing or a three read bat wing with prophylactic on the bottom and what regular latex on top i have not and i don't even know any of those terms so that's probably why <laughs> but so basically the the prof is real thin latex on the bottom so it doesn't take a lot of lung to get going and it's easier to make good sounds and the bat wing is usually pretty easy for most people to use so okay. two or three read bat wing might be better for you because you can still get the rasp and the like the cutting with it a lot easier than than just a single read your calls a lot higher pitch than if you're using an elk call um yeah yeah that's yeah that i, I think i i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to hit you up on this to send me some of the ones that you're using there to give it give it a try because it's um yeah i just struggle with it man i just can't get a good sound out of them normally and and then i end up using um i I don't know i use i use a box call a decent amount it's more of a locator um and then i have um my my little frank's call which is was was a call my grandpa had patented back in the 70s and 80s this is tiny little slate call basically and actually has now hooter built into it and so I, i use that um a little bit mouth call a little bit some different types of uh pot calls um throughout but i'm like i said i'm not the person to um to go through all those different types of calls like like uh like you have there that that ability to carry all those different ones so <laughs> in the back of my mind i'm like man it might be that one call that gets him to gobble that if i don't have it the, you know the hunt's over it's it's not going to happen it 
you know, carrying a bunch, a couple different strikers with you can save from having to do what I do and carry 60 pounds worth of stuff through the woods. And it feels more like a parachute jump vest than it does uh, yeah. <laughs> a turkey vest sometimes. And you're really questioning yourself. I know every year my dad will pick up my vest once and he'll come in and be like, there is something not right with you. He's like, how do you carry this much stuff for a six hour hunt? Yeah, you're, you're like, that's why I go to the gym every morning. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, and then usually sometime throughout the hunt, my dad or my uncle will be like, do you have this? And I'll dig in. I'll be like, okay, this pocket, here you go. What about this? Here you go. Yeah, I'd, with- ra- I'd rather have it and not need it than be in the other boat. Like it's because with the many peoples I hunt with throughout the year, somebody's going to forget gloves. Somebody's going to forget a face mask. Yeah. And with turkeys, I think it's critically cover all that stuff. So I, I've got extras of everything. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. And, uh, I, I think that's hilarious that, uh, that you're the one that has to bring it for everybody else. That's like, um, like when we go, I would go hunting at all with my cousin Mason. He just always is underprepared and, and we tell him this to his face. It's not any out of the ordinary, but when we went ice fishing there recently, both me and my buddy, Michael both had extra hot hands. Cause we're like, Mike Mason's going to show up. It's below zero. He's not going to have gloves or he's not going to have hot hands or he's not, there's going to be something that he's forgetting. So like <laughs> I, I can, I can relate to that. <laughs> was he, was he prepared or did you guys have to give him your hot oh, hands? Uh, he actually, he didn't take them, but he did not have them either. Somehow he's just, <laughs> I don't know. He just grinds it out and, and deals with it. But, uh, <laughs> more so because he doesn't want to hear it from us that we had to give him something. So, but yeah, he, he did. <laughs> uh, yeah and he doesn't want to get ragged on yeah exactly so he just just deals with it but um so i i wanted to ask you a little bit about your i wanted to ask you about some of your favorite hunts and i kind of gave you a heads up that i was going to ask you about this and you texted me you're like man i'm struggling to like pinpoint it down to one or two hunts that were my favorite like just you know so i i know um some of like the types of areas you hunt and stuff and you hunt a lot of really remote, steep, big woods areas. And I, I think that's awesome to, it's fun to chase turkeys in those types of areas. So I'd love to, love to hear a story if you got one in your head. Yeah. Um, this is going to go back to 2017. So about a couple years ago here, about five years now, actually the year I got my triple trophy, I, I guided for a hunt um, that we'll, we'll call as a Cabela's hunt. We used to, we used to have that hunt prior to COVID every year. There was some representatives from an architectural firm that used to do a lot of store design for the Cabela stores and they would bring in a lot of clients, entertain some guests. So probably, oh, I don't know, maybe five, seven years ago now, I, I started doing those hunts. It was a lot of fun when we had them. And, you know, like usual, it's always the first, let's say three days of the season. I guess not three days. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of the first week. Go out and we'll, we'll take the, the hunters out and you get to become good friends with them. And it, it's a great time. And that year, you know, I needed a, a spring gobbler for a triple trophy in Pennsylvania. I, I killed a buck with my bow. I killed a black bear with a rifle. I did hit a gobbler with my bow in the fall, but didn't did not recover him, so that didn't count. So I still need the turkey for the triple trophy. So I went out and you know we we did the hunt. Called in this big, beautiful, giant gobbler the the first morning of the hunt for for one of my friends and the gobbler just kind of got by us. You know, I didn't know how, but he. I, I sat in the, the my buddy's seat where he was sitting and looked over, and there was a little bit of a roll in the logging road, and the whole turkey actually snuck behind a mound where where your skidders pushed up the, the sides of the road, and they made the logging road, and he swung around behind us, and then he just didn't have a shot when the gobbler got behind us. And 
after that, that was the only day that that gobbler was a single man the rest of the season. He had like nine hens every day after that. And he was, he was a giant. He had like a 10 inch beard, just had a big golf ball coming out of his chest. You know, I could see his spurs when he was coming past us. I didn't have a gun cause I was, I was calling and filming and, and just watch him drooling over this turkey. Like, man, I hope he can get turned around to, to shoot. And you know, he didn't, things didn't work out. He didn't have a good shot. So he, he let the turkey go, which is always the right thing to do. If you don't have a good shot, you know, let him go. And, Fast forward then a couple weeks, I actually had a conference in Pittsburgh on a random Wednesday, and my boss told me, he's like, don't come into work, just just head to Pittsburgh, go to go to the conference, and we'll see you on Thursday. So I said, all right, well, I only had to leave it. I think I figured like 9 a.m. if I drove straight there, and I, you know, I, I, put the, I put the gas pedal down to the floor and did like 80 the whole way there, I could get there, <laughs> you know, right before the class started and, and get checked in and get in there, so... I went up to one of my old haunts that I really didn't hunt that spring at all very much. And it was a really tough year aside from that, that good hunt I had on that Cabela's hunt. Got in there, heard a bird right away. And the way that the property lines worked on this particular area, I was hunting game lands that bordered a large chunk of private property. And the turkey was roosted like literally right on the property line. Like I'm pretty sure that the tree he was in had a posted sign on it. <laughs> so I got in as close as I could. Started giving him some tree yelps, calling. He's gobbling and gobbling and gobbling and gobbling. I'm just, I'm waiting for somebody to come off this post of property and, and work him or shoot him or be already be there that I didn't hear. So I get in there, get tight, and turkey flies down. And he hangs up at about 100 yards and just starts spinning around in a circle, strutting and gobbling and gobbling real hard. And I, I couldn't get a decoy out because when I heard him, it was really late and the woods were wide open. I was worried that I didn't want to, you know, go too much closer because he was the only one I heard. So I wasn't going to take a chance of spooking him. So I let him walk off and, and I, I got real low and I, I wasn't crawling or anything. I just, I kept my mask on and, you know, I had my decoy ready and I just, I kept creeping up, you know, I crept up to where he was when he hung up because a lot of times if you can get to where a turkey hangs up and set up after he left and call him back, he'll come back a lot of times because he's comfortable with that area and he's already been through there. So I thought that was going to work no dice. He's still, he's moving away from me now. And at this point I didn't hear any hens in the back of my mind. I'm like, man, he's acting like he has a hen, but for as hard as he's gobbling, I'm like, this just isn't making sense. And he, he acted like he had somewhere he wanted to be. So I'm like, I look at my watch. I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, okay, I got, I got an hour and a half till I have to leave. So I've got, I've got a little bit of time to play. I don't have a lot of time. So I got up and then I moved a little bit closer. And now he's starting to really gobble hard. And I got, I got a better beat on him, so I know exactly where he is, but he's just on the other side of the post of property, out on an old gas wall that has a, a bunch of logging roads that are, I later found out, were planted in some kind of clover or, you know, just had clover naturally coming up on him. So I'm, I'm standing there, I'm like, all right, where am I going to set up? Found, found a big tree that I could shoot just to the edge of the property line, so I got over there and set up. And he, he went quiet, so I'm like, well... I got to go for broke. And I learned earlier in that year during that Cabela's hunt, I was talking to some of the guys and they said that some of the birds that they worked that year, they had to really pound on with a call. Like I'm talking, they cut nonstop to get them to, to come and get them to finish. And normally I won't do that because it's just a lot of times it's not natural, but you know, given the situation, I tried to play it off as passive. I tried to, to build into some aggressive cutting and yelping and he just wasn't having it. So then I'm like, well, I got to try it. So I throw a mouth call in and I just start pounding on me. I cut for like a minute and a half straight and he's just gobbling and gobbling and gobbling and gobbling and gobbling. 
Then all of a sudden I look up and he starts coming. I hear him coming. He's drumming. He's strutting. I look up and I see a hen pop out. So then it all started making sense why he wasn't, he wasn't going to come because he already had, you know, he already had the real thing. Why was he going to leave her to, to come look for a ghost? So the hen actually comes running through and she ran through my opening and I'm looking, I'm like, okay, I got the gobbler and I'm like, okay, you're about 60 and he's coming closer, coming closer. He hits like 40, 45 and literally probably within about five steps, he's going to walk into the, walk into some brush. And I wasn't going to shot. So I stopped him, pulled up shot and dropped him. He went down. And then I later found out when I was out there looking at him, he was out strutting with that hen in that gas wall. And that's why he wasn't coming. I didn't even know any of that was there until after I got up and where I was standing when I picked him up and he was flying. I could look out and visually see, you know, what he was out there doing is with the hen while she was feeding. And, you know, without going through that and working my way up there, I would have spooked him if I would have went the way I originally was going to go because I was just going to go straight towards him. Yeah. And try to try to cut the distance quick, but I, I made a like a semicircle on him. And I think he was so used to people going straight at him at first. That's why he was he was kind of like, eh, I'm not so sure about this. But once I, I made a little bit of a circle around him, he was like, OK, I could see a hen doing that. So then I got the hen mad. The hen came in. She started to cut a little bit and then he followed her and, and let her read to me. Huh. Yeah, that uh and and I guess that comes down to probably your uh your just experience in it and learn and you know, adapting to that situation, reading the woods for what they are and and you know, trying to trying to make it as realistic as possible when it when it comes down to it and and it's I don't know. I, I feel like when I talk to people like yourself or anybody that's like really talented in what they do, whether it's turkey hunting, deer hunting or anything, they have these little details, these little things that they do right, you know, or that, that they're on. And that's, that's a perfect example of that. That, and, you know, another thing you just have to do is, you know, you can't be afraid to try things just like, you know, deer hunting or elk hunting or anything. You know, if you're trying something, it's not working. If you don't try anything else, then you're still going to be in the same place that you're in right now. And either your, your deer's not coming in, he's still with a doe or, you know, the gobbler's out there with a hen and, and he's not breaking. So, if you're calling real light and he's not breaking, start working into some aggressive cutting and yelping. You know, don't be afraid to try it. If that doesn't work and you can gobble on a mouth call, why not? Gobble, you know, try some fighting purrs, beat your hat on your, against the side of your leg. You know, if you have a wing with you, try that. I mean, throw the kitchen, kitchen sink at them. Sometimes you have to try a bunch of stuff until you can figure out what they like. And then once you figure out what they like, give it to them and, and see what they do. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good point. And, and so a question I have is like, you've, you've killed a bunch of, you've killed a lot of turkeys over the years and anything. Is there anything that like you want to do, or there's like a goal of yours, like say either for this year or just in the future that you want to accomplish? Maybe it's a certain way of hunting or using a certain gun or a certain place. Like what, what do you have in your head is like I, my next thing that I really want to want to do. Well, the next thing I want to do is, I don't think it's going to happen this year, but maybe next year, sometime soon, I want to finish my Grand Slam. I need a Rio Grand yet. I killed the Eastern, obviously, that's what we have back home in PA. Killed the Osceola in Florida. Killed the Miriams out west in Wyoming. Need to get the, the Rio yet for for the fourth leg of the Grand Slam. As, as I would like to go after the U.S. Super Slam, but realistically, I don't know if I've got that kind of time, you know, having a a full-time job and having a family. I would love to do that someday. I've got a couple friends that have done it and it's just, it's amazing to see 
the different places that they get to go and, and hunt and the experiences they have just in hearing the stories that they get and just how good that these guys actually are all at, at turkey hunting you know they go they show up at a new spot and they've got you know sometimes two three days to to find turkeys get into them and and make it happen so you know maybe one day go after that i've killed turkeys in a handful of states now so who knows maybe maybe further on down the road i'll i'll be one of i think right now there's like 21 people only that have completed that u.s super slam uh, a gobbler in, in all 49 states that have them is that what the, okay i was gonna 20, ask you what that is 21 i was talking to one of my buddies the other night and he said there was 21 the last that he knew holy cow insane that is insane so where where do you think you'll go for your rio that's kind of up in the air right now. So I started my grand slam with my roommate in college. We, he's watched me. He's watched me, and I've shot turkeys sitting beside him of the other, of the three subspecies right now. So we talked about going out west, maybe Washington or Oregon for a Rio. But I'm gonna wait till he can go with me to finish it because we've done the whole thing together. I mean, he has his yeah. super slam now, so he's add, added quite a few from there. But uh, I, I still think it'd be cool to, to finish with him since we started together. Yeah, that that would be pretty cool, and yeah, I I hope you I hope you get a chance to do that because that would be that would be phenomenal. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's like a turkey hunter's dream. Like I feel like if any anybody that's a big turkey hunter, that's something that they have as a goal or um, something they just want to reach for. I guess that in one spring, I think it'd be cool to start May first, whatever, not May first, March first, and hunt the whole way through June, whole way into June. Usually, I think Maine has turkey season into the first couple of days of June. Mm-hmm. I've shot turkeys in March, April, May. I want to get one in June. There you go. Yeah, ours always closes like right before. Was it last day of May? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Thirty first. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you need one of those June birds now. <laughs> I couldn't imagine hunting them in like March or anything like. And I know a lot of states, most states probably open in April, don't they? Yeah, a lot of a lot of them in April. Um, yeah. Florida opens up in March. I'm trying to think when I got my Osceola. Somewhere around. Like the 21st, I think I got my Osceola in 2012. I was actually the first out-of-state hunter I ever did. Was it really? I went big. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it sounds like it. I <laughs> had, had two weeks off and it had t- at the time working in the oil field. My buddy texted me, the guy that I did the U.S. Super or the the Grand Slam with, and, and he's like, hey, you want to go to Florida in March? I'm like, sure, why not? You know, single, living at home, making good money, two weeks off at a time. And yeah, we just booked it in January and never look back <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome well jake is there anything else that you think uh you want to leave any listeners with here as as um looking into this turkey season or any words of wisdom that you got yeah so i think the biggest thing is is just don't get frustrated for anybody out there that, that maybe having a, a rough season or if you're new and trying to learn you know just enjoy the whole process you know i'm sure everybody says that and it's kind of cliche but Really, you know, just thinking back on when I was younger, the biggest thing that I took away from it is you want to build your knowledge on on every hunt and every experience you have. You know, maybe the turkey beat you today, but don't just think that you have to pull up and shoot and take a poor shot because you're getting frustrated, you know, if that gobbler's not quite coming in close enough. And something I think we need to touch on, too, is you've got to know your weapon, you know, whether it's a bow, a shotgun, a muzzleloader, whatever you want to hunt with, make sure that you know that gun, in that weapon inside and out especially a shotgun, you know, make sure you know what that effective range is. You want to go out, take a big piece of cardboard, like a four by four sheet of cardboard, shoot your gun, your choke and your shells that you're going to be shooting to hunt. And if you have a red dot or a scope on it, make sure you've got that on there too, obviously, but you want to pattern your gun, you know, shoot at that target 
and make sure you know where all of that load is, you know, whether it's TSS or, or lead or heavy shot or, you know, whatever you're shooting, make sure you know where that load's going and you have it centered with your optics because believe it or not, changing a choke and changing your shell can change your point of impact. And the worst thing you could do is by not doing your due diligence, not checking that out. Then you call a turkey in and you shoot and you hit low and you blow a leg off and the turkey gets away or, you know, you do something else and you wound a bird and he gets away. You never want to do that. You've always got to have respect for that turkey in mind. And if you don't have a good shot, just don't get frustrated and, and throw up and shoot. You know, wait for a good shot. It's okay for these animals to win. You know, they live out in Mother Nature every yeah. every day. You're going into their backyard. Yeah. So just make sure that you know your gun. Always keep safety in mind. You know, we talked about a lot on here, but you want to avoid any kind of red, white, and blue from your clothing. Those are the, the colors found on an adult gobbler's head and neck. So you obviously want to avoid those. Don't wear white socks especially if your your pant legs are going to ride up because that, that could look like a turkey's head and always identify your target. You know, make sure that when you think you see a turkey, make sure that you, you go through a little bit of a checklist, you know, look, okay, I see a turkey, watch it for a little bit, make sure you see it again and keep reconfirming this and don't just pull up and shoot at sound, at noise, don't stalk turkeys, you know, make sure for 100% sure and make sure five or six times that before you pull that trigger, that what you're shooting at is a is a legal turkey. Make sure you see a beard. Make sure it's a gobbler. You know, go through this checklist and make sure because if you pull that trigger and it's and it's a person or somebody with a decoy or somebody reaping or doing something else, you know, you can't pull that shot back once you pull a trigger. So you got to make sure that you're shooting at a turkey and you know what's behind that animal and that when you shoot, you're going to put it down. There's nobody else behind it because I'm sure most everybody out there can can attest to this that. If you spend any time in the woods hunting, you know, you'll hear a turkey and you'll start working closer to, to get to them. And then you'll hear some guy yelp on a mouth call or, you know, some, some sound that you can easily tell is a, another hunter. You know, there's, there's a person on that bird already. So, you know, give that guy the or gal the respect and, and you know, back up and, and let them work the turkey. Yeah, people can walk into on you and screw you up. But, you know, do your best to, to hunt ethically, hunt safely. And I think you guys will have a, a lot more enjoyable experience. And. Don't get so frustrated with it, too, that, you know, you take it too serious and, and you ruin the experience. You know, go out. If you hear a turkey, great. If you kill a turkey, you know, that's great, too. But just enjoy being out there and being away from work and just getting the time to, to watch the woods come back to life in the spring. Yeah, I that's that's a great ender there, Jake, and and uh, I think all of us can can use that advice and and also I mean the safety standpoint there is is huge. I think that that is something that can't be stressed enough and both me and Jake are safety professionals as that's what we, <laughs> what we do for a living. So we, we have that kind of mindset always in our, our head. So, <laughs> but anyways, Jake, thank you so much for coming on. Do you want to tell the, the listeners where they can find you at, where they can find your podcast and anything else? Yeah. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Jake Stanish. Uh, podcast is Apex Fireside Radio. You can get the podcast anywhere you Anywhere you find your podcast, you know, Apple, Spotify, Google podcast. Uh, it's also on the, the Apex Ammunition's website, all of the the current episodes as well as the, the past episodes too. So head on over to their website and click on learn. Go underneath the podcast. You can find all of the, the different podcasts out there. You know, I think you'll find something for, for everybody over there. And while you're at it, head on over and stock up on your TSS for turkey season. You know, the convention's going to be next week here valentine's day week so 
everybody's going to be getting geared up for turkey season and shots going to go quick so if you guys want them want it make sure you head on over and, and load up now yeah <laughs> sounds good thank you jake i i will uh i'll be chatting with you soon thanks man appreciate it Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.